Good morning, reptile entrepreneurs. This is your host, Bill Strand, and this week we're going to address all the noise you've been hearing about legislation making its way through the government. I'm going to lay out what it actually says, what the process is, how this fits into the big picture, and what is the appropriate response from us in the reptile community. If you listen to the latest episode of the Chameleon Academy podcast, then this will be familiar, as I'm releasing the core information on both of my outreach channels. This is truly a community-wide issue, and yes, it is this serious. Since we have some time here to truly dig deep, I want to start with explaining the big picture. There are behemoth special interest groups all around. Humans have always liked telling others what they can and can't do, and there's a group of well-funded people that have decided that keeping animals as pets, in zoos and circuses, or as a core business is evil and must be stopped. Of course, the group is made up of people of various levels of activism, from those that just want puppy mills stopped to those that would like us all to be vegetarian. And as we all love animals, much of what drives them, we can relate to. We just differ on how to go about solving the problems. The bottom line is that the animal rights groups work tirelessly to ban pet ownership. You may not know this, because you don't have time to keep track of legislation being proposed or enacted all around the country. This is why we have to take this seriously, even though there are a number of points we may agree with. It's because they are not interested in compromise. All the talk of regulation is designed to destroy the animal-keeping community. They are patient, clever, and plan for the long game, so it's easy not to be concerned about the little cuts here and there, which, when added up, are deadly. So what is their strategy? For decades, they've realized, better than most people in the reptile community, that the way to destroy the pet trade is to destroy any business structure that deals with animals. And this makes sense because a business has money and will fight. Individuals are lost in the noise, so they know they have to disrupt the business core of the community. Destroying an entire business sector outright is too ambitious for even them, so they have taken to legislating how business is allowed to be conducted. Shipping, which is the ability to get your goods from manufacturer to customer, is the lifeline of business. Even with ample inventory and willing customers, if there's no way to get goods from point A to point B, the business dies. So the attacks are often against the ability to transport animals. Over two decades ago, I remember working on a legal fight against the Humane Society, and they wanted to pass legislation that required any shipping of reptiles to be in a shipping container that replicated the natural movement range of the animal. So if a chameleon made a mango tree its home, we'd have to ship a mango tree-sized box. You can see how ridiculous this is and nowhere near necessary, but the Humane Society knew that it would destroy commerce and that they could weave a compelling story to the politicians who have no context. I mean, doesn't it sound reasonable to only ship an animal in luxury and comfort? If that passed, I wonder what we could have done with that law in passenger airplanes. Would each person have to fly in a house-sized room? So, this is the template they use. Find a way to stop the transport of animals and wrap a logical story around it. Doesn't matter if the story is true or not, or reasonable or not. They just have to make it sound good to a legislator who doesn't have time to check out all the ins and outs about it. In this year's version, 
The amendment is being framed as protecting the environment and as a pandemic prevention solution. I mean, if COVID originally came from the animal world, doesn't it make sense to stop animals from being transported across state lines? The logic is sorely lacking. So you stop animals, which have very little chance of being part of spreading a pandemic, but allow humans, which have 100% chance of being carriers of a pandemic disease, to cross state lines? But you can see how a quick emotional story could be created from this by a clever lobbyist promising financial support of the politician who has no concept that this will be catastrophic to livelihoods across the country. It will protect your constituents. It will stop the scourge of puppy mills. How can anyone turn down the opportunity to make voters happy like that? And you say, but wait a minute. Those arguments are so one-sided and so full of holes that no one could fall for it. Well, all it takes is, one, good storytelling with making us look like villains and leaving out any inconvenient truths, and two, slipping things in that politicians don't even know about. These two points are important for us to keep in mind when we get involved in the process. First is that we need to present ourselves to the politicians as mature, rational, law-abiding citizens that are coherent and relevant with our objections. After being painted as crazy people by the animal rights lobbyists, we need to show that that was a lie. If we can show that the animal rights lobbyists are willing to lie, then their integrity of how they present everything is called into question. So the most powerful thing you can do is approach your senator with calm and respect to discuss the situation in a reasonable manner. The worst thing you can do is write threatening emails telling them about how you've got guns in the house and aren't afraid to use them on anyone trying to take your animals. You see how that last approach just proves that we are dangerous like the lobbyists painted us? Remember that the senators don't know anything about our community. These amendments are slipped into a huge bill, so politicians voting on the major legislation unwittingly pass the special interest legislation. In this particular case, this is an amendment being slipped into the 3,000-page Competes Act, whose purpose is to fund semiconductor research and fabrication to allow the U.S. not to be dependent on China for critical electronic components. So you see how this is a tangled mess? It is unrealistic to expect them to actually read the entirety of what they are voting on. Yes, I know that seems like something that is broken in our political system, and you are right. And the lobbyists take advantage of this by slipping things in so they hopefully go through without anyone noticing. Like this almost did. Sure, the senator may have people looking through the document and highlighting the parts that are top priority issues for the senator to read, but I can guarantee you that an amendment to the Lacey Act, which many of them may not have heard of, slipped into a bill all about semiconductors, probably is not going to make that cut. So that is the second point. We need to approach our senators as if they do not know what we are talking about. And in this case, senators not knowing that this amendment has been slipped in is one of the main strategies in hopes of getting it passed. So coming in with emails filled with fire on an issue that the politician didn't even realize was happening, and then so has no context for what you are saying, can hurt us greatly simply in the senator discounting anyone bringing up preserving our rights as crazy people. So remember, part of our job is to let the senator know that this is there in the first place. And then we let them know why it's not a good idea. So obviously, this isn't going unnoticed. The good people at USARC, or USARC, 
figured out what was going on, and almost all of what I am sharing regarding strategy and the situation comes from that organization. This is the Reptile Community's legal watchdog that scans the proposals at all levels across the United States. They are tasked with fighting for our rights to keep reptiles, and just one look at usark.org, that's U-S-A-R-K.org, and you'll be floored by how often restrictions are being proposed. Many of them from the imagination of animal rights groups, but a number of them are from the actions of stupid reptile people. If you keep cobras and one of yours gets loosed in your neighborhood, you can be sure that the animal rights side will thank you for this gift as a terrorized community is locked down while fearing for the safety of their children. So you think they want to hear about the rights of someone to keep a deadly snake? You just made USARC's job a whole lot tougher. So we are at times our own worst enemy. Now, you may be of the mind to say that you agree with not being able to keep venomous reptiles, and you could make valid arguments. But when a gift like this is given to the animal rights groups, they make sure that the legislation says snakes instead of venomous snakes, or even reptiles maybe. To a scared community that knows nothing about reptiles, the difference between a ball python and a cobra is immaterial. But the ramifications of pushing that generalized language through is tremendous. So this is not about being reasonable or compromising. We have to fight hard and fast because that is what they are doing and that is what USARC does. Now, if this is the first you're hearing of USARC, it's important that I make that introduction. USARC is run by Phil Goss and is our legislation watchdog. He interacts with many other watchdog groups across the animal community. It may seem like we're all alone and often the legislation is just towards the reptile community, but all animal communities know that the rights lobbyists are taking any opportunity to shut them all down. So we're all in this together. It was actually Phil's group that detected this latest amendment and alerted the other groups. USARC has been very effective in protecting our rights and has been a huge thorn in the side of the animal rights lobbyists. Phil is doing a great job protecting our community. So let's turn our attention to this particular amendment. And before I get into it, please get ready to wade through nuance. So get comfortable. It's very difficult to figure out what's going on because as an amendment, they start specifying that individual words be inserted into the original Lacey Act, which means you have to have the original Lacey Act in front of you, find the sentence they are saying to change, and see what that word does. Just you try to wade through this amendment, and you'll understand why your senator may have no idea what this amendment does or why it is significant. The most dangerous part of this amendment is that it changes regulations from a state-level blacklist to a country-level whitelist. Currently, animals are permitted to cross state lines if they are not on the blocked list or blacklist for that state. You can have ferrets in Nevada, but not California. You can have tegus in Alaska, but not Florida. You can have a Burmese python or anything in Texas, but don't bring a snake or, well, anything to Hawaii. With a blacklist, you can't take any of those species across state lines into the state that has them blacklisted. And this makes sense, because the chances of a tegu or iguana escaping and setting up a feral colony in Alaska are zero. So, don't let them into Hawaii, but there's no problem with Alaskans having a tegu collection. This amendment switches things up and says you can't ship anything across state lines until it is on a white list, which means no species can be transported until it goes through the legal system, and it is specifically clear that it is not injurious to the environment. On the surface, that actually sounds reasonable. 
but this raises the list to a federal level. So anything that can escape and live in Florida or Hawaii will not be allowed to travel into Alaska and puts an enormous amount of power into the hands of people who would love to see the pet trade disappear. Imagine the wait time to get a species through all the red tape just to get it approved to go across state lines. And if there are only 10 of those species in the country, how much attention you think they're going to get? The reason why they specifically changed the wording to isolate the states is they know that our community is growing fueled by e-commerce. If they can isolate the breeders, then the breeders go out of business, and with wildcots not coming in and captive breads not available, they achieve a significant goal. This amendment may not chop the head off our community, but it swipes the knees out. And that is their goal. To be clear, they're not taking away anyone's pets. They are playing the long game here. They are attacking future captive bred generations. They're okay with whatever people have now. They want to remove the future. So please don't go off on how they won't get your reptiles unless they pry them from your cold, dead hands. You sound like a lunatic when you talk like that, and it doesn't help at all. Not only does that have nothing to do with the bill, it confirms everything that the lobbyists have said about reptile people. I also see this meme going around saying that cats kill more native wildlife and yet reptiles are being targeted. Uh, this is incorrect on two points. First, this amendment is not just for reptiles, but all animals. I suspect cats will make it on the white list, but know that this is against all animals. So the small mammal people, bird people, fish people, and zoos are affected as well. And even if this was just a reptile bill, they would do that, not because they don't care about cats, but because the cat people are just too big to take on directly. The animal rights people would love cat ownership banned, but the reptile community is getting a lot of attention only because we're smaller and off the mainstream so there's a better chance of taking us down. But don't be misinformed. They don't want cat ownership either. The cat people are just not as vulnerable as we are because they are bigger. So, like it or not, we're on the front lines. So, you've heard me use the word community often, and that is what we are, and my goodness, what a diverse community we are. We are a strange community because most of us never know others exist. The reptile community, and, and when I say reptile, I mean reptile, amphibian, invertebrate, and whatever else doesn't fit in with mammal, bird, or fish, that's us. We're all in the same boat, and what a curious crew we make. We are all in our little groups, and a chameleon person may or may not ever know a bull python person, and a leopard gecko person may never cross paths with a tarantula person. So our community has the disadvantage that we are splintered by interests. We are splintered even further still by standard human infighting. Does anyone actually want to come together for anything? Not really, but we better. Or else it can all disappear. Now, I know we like to think that everyone has the best of intentions, and surely they have some good points and we can reach a compromise. That is supposed to be the democratic way, right? And yeah, have you ever noticed how radical elements that take a black and white stance seem to be more powerful? As soon as we humans think we are right and others are wrong, it seems to justify any sort of behavior to win. It doesn't matter that we in the reptile community are minding our own business. If someone has a deep religious conviction that we are evil, there is no compromise. And I go through all this to make it clear that we're dealing with a group of people that do not see compromise as an acceptable outcome. The bill is about protecting the environment and humans, but the intent is not protection. They want to win and crush pet keeping. 
This is just the next step tool they are using. And before you accuse me of using needless dramatics to paint them as the bad guys out to get us, here's the metric I use. When you are drafting legislation, you include the people it affects. Marco Rubio, the senator that submitted this amendment, talked with someone. Because when you do something quietly, you aren't doing it for the people, you're doing it for your financial supporters. He wasn't talking to the zoos or anyone from the pet community. So yes, when an amendment is submitted that could cripple an entire industry without input from that industry, I am justified in painting it as a special interest strike against us. And we have to treat it as such and meet it as such. Now, the concepts that are discussed aren't necessarily bad ideas. We love keeping our reptiles, but we also love animals in general and value our environment. So there is common ground here, at least between us and the middle-of-the-line conservationist. So what if we in the reptile and pet community came together and made our own self-regulating legislation? What if we took a look at the whole situation and put legal measures in place that solve the problems we have and created standards that were enforceable that would safeguard responsible keeping and breeding? I'm thinking there'd be an advantage to having a regulatory body that could show the public that we take their concerns seriously and we have them as well. We don't want animals treated as throwaway objects and we don't want cobras getting loose. And you know that if we don't propose standards that keep this from happening, that people outside the hobby will. And they're not interested in compromise. They don't want to spend effort to protect your rights to keep reptiles they see as dangerous. Would the community feel better knowing that anyone keeping a venomous snake has had a facility that is up to code for safety and is checked up on an annual basis? Ah, sounds like a lot of effort when you can just make it illegal to keep venomous snakes. Wait, so are rear fanged snakes venomous? What about boas? Nah, just make all snakes illegal. So we really don't want people outside the community making legislation that binds us. And, you know, it's kind of hard to say we love our reptiles. We can go to a reptile show in 2022 and see reptiles kept in horrid conditions. Hey, chameleon people, how do you feel about adult-veiled chameleons in plastic clamshells stacked on a table? Or 20 of them in a screen cage with one branch? Honestly, I think our industry could use a little thinning out. I personally think regulations that would make it take effort to be a legal breeder and reseller of reptiles, along with education and regular recertification, would be positive. And yes, it would do away with the cheap reptile. But you're going to be pushing a boulder up a hill to convince anyone cheap reptiles are a net positive. Making reptile keeping a luxury would make them more expensive, which would make it easier for people to actually make a living being a reptile breeding specialist. And they could dedicate what it takes to have a top-notch facility that produces the highest quality of animals. And the buyers would be much more serious. I can hear people complain about how much more expensive it would be. Well, this isn't a discussion about commodities. Reptiles are living beings. They have the right to be treated with the respect any living being should. So how about instead of banning pet ownership, how about we create a program where wild-caught imports can only go to licensed reptile breeders and pet stores can only sell captive-bred animals? Think about what that would do to the art of reptile breeding and how much more serious it would become. Yes, there would be plenty of things that needed to be hammered out to make sure this whole thing worked well. But the important thing would be that we would be hammering it out ourselves and it isn't being dictated to us by people that philosophically hate us. So this is a fight of us against them. Make no mistake about that. And the price of losing is that we lose the ability to have a significant pet reptile community. 
Sure, we won't just disappear, but our growth will be stunted. And we are just now starting to become big enough that there is a growth of exotic veterinary services that can be supported. You see, being a large community means we can be a better community. So yes, this is a serious fight. But at the same time, we need to step back. The concepts being tossed around are not 100% wrong. Going forward, I suggest we embrace these concepts and see how we can be in the driver's seat as to how they would be addressed. Now, I haven't been deep into politics. I'm sure this has been discussed before, and Phil Goss at USARC would be the next stop for me to see what merit this idea has, and I suspect I haven't been the first to come up with it, so I'm betting there's a history. The point I'm trying to make is that having concerns about non-native animals ruining the environment or being a danger to humans is completely appropriate, and you can oppose this amendment and still acknowledge that there should be something done. But that something to be done needs to be done with the pet industry and zoo community directly involved with crafting the legislation and being part of the execution of it. It should not be something slipped in, hoping no one notices it's there, and then we all wake up one morning unable to ship chameleons across state lines. So, okay, what are we going to do now? As of mid-February, the Senate is going on a recess, and then they will come back and work through a budget. Then they'll go to debating the Competes Act to ensure the U.S. can stay competitive with China for electronics. As we go forward, we do not want to say we are against the Competes Act. We want our senators to not include this amendment into the final Competes Act that they vote on. So we're urging them to just not include this totally off-topic amendment in the final bill. Putting it off until another day is a whole lot easier for them to do than vote against the entire Competes Act. So what we need to do is make them know that there is a significant number of people that are not happy about this amendment. As of mid-February, this is a good time to start sending emails and faxes and letters to your senator, letting them know this is a big deal. And you can find your senator, contact information, and talking points on the USARC website, usark.org. And doing it right now would be setting the stage. And the more they hear about it, the more they won't be interested in being responsible for including it in a bill that they will vote on. So now it's very important to make noise. We will have to ratchet it up when they actually start the discussions on the Capetes Act, but don't wait for that to communicate with your senator. Don't make it a surprise when you call again in a month to remind them. You don't want to annoy them, but emailing, writing, faxing, or calling now to warn them what was slipped in, and then emailing, writing, faxing, or calling when they are actually discussing it would be a totally appropriate couple of touch points. What is important is that we are coordinated in our efforts and not just throwing random noise. The direction for our efforts needs to come from one source, and unquestionably, that one source is Phil Goss at usarc.org. He has the experience to know what will and won't work and when it needs to be done. I'm not going to give direction here on this podcast because it may change depending on what is going on when you are listening to this episode. But at usarc.org, there will be the latest information, and if we, as a community, show solidarity and do what USARC directs, then we will be much more persuasive and effective. Also, right now, USARC is our one legal representative, and fighting to protect our reptile-keeping hobby is their one purpose. Making them appear strong helps our cause tremendously. When Phil goes in to talk to lawmakers, they want to know how many people he represents. The bigger the number, the more he gets listened to. 
so it is critical that you become a member of USARC. That is how you are counted. None of these legislators is looking on social media and seeing how many times you've posted to your Facebook page. So, being part of USARC is how you actually get counted, and they make it so easy. When you go to the website, you can literally buy a membership for $20 a year. Yes, a year. That's $1.67 a month, and you can be counted. Now, money is what speaks the loudest, so you can give more. You can do $40 a year, $5 a month, which is $60 a year, a silver membership at $250 a year, or gold membership at $1,000 a year. And if you get one of those memberships, here's where I want you to broadcast it. Let everyone know you're a proud member of USARC so they get the idea that this is a good thing. I am a silver member, and I put that badge on my website, and it's going on social media. Am I bragging? Well, yes, and I want you to do the same and brag too, because what this does is it creates community momentum. It becomes a badge of honor and it encourages others to join. I do not condone the tone of self-righteousness starting up and the shaming I see going on. Your example is powerful. Stop with the unhealthy, destructive actions on our community. Feel special by showing off your badge and being helpful to people trying to figure things out. Live by example, and you'll be surprised at your following. So, here's your action item list. 1. Go to usark.org, U-S-A-R-K.org, and get familiar with the latest news as to what's going on. 2. Become a member of USARC, so Phil can be a much more effective advocate for us. 3. Make it a point to contact your senator now, and then later when they are in debates on this bill. USARC.org has the contact information for the senator for your state, the relevant talking points, and it will guide you in how to use them. And four, dedicate yourself to being the kind of reptile keeper that would be a certified breeder or educator under this breeder's organization that only exists in my mind right now. If we conduct ourselves to the highest standards now, then we create, by example, a wider community that adheres to the higher standards. And that is the best way to outreach to a wider community that is fearful of reptiles. Win them over, and we cut down the number of people who will support legislation damaging reptile keeping. I appreciate you joining me here and caring enough to be part of defending our community. We are constantly in a life-or-death struggle, and I'm sad to say that this isn't going to be a one-off fight. This is going to have to be a lifestyle if we're going to beat this. Phil has been shouldering much of this for years. By actively supporting USARC, both financially and with whatever call to action there is, we make him that much more effective. So yes, right now is a very good time to get deeply involved. And at $20 a year, anyone can do that. So please be part of this. We do need to solve the problems of our community. But what is going on now is not the way to do it. All right, I'm thinking that's enough for today. And it's time to go check out that USARC website. You know how my sign-off is to take care of yourself, take care of our reptile community? Well, this is a call to stand up and take care of our reptile community. So it's important that we do that so we have a community in which to build our business. This is Bill Strand signing off, and I will see you next time.